I've asked you not to whistle that annoying tune. Everybody and welcome back to Simpsons is Greater Than, a podcast where we take a look at the cultural impact of everybody's favorite nuclear family, the Simpsons. As always, I'm your host, Warren, also known as Bart of Darkness. You may know me from my Simpsons collection on Instagram and Twitter. Be honest, it's great, isn't it? Go ahead and say it's great if you want to. But if not, you should check it out. I really think you'll like it. Now, this is the fourth episode of the podcast, and if it's your first, please consider checking out the others before you get too far behind, because who wants to do that? I know I don't. This is an interview with the one and only Al Jean. Now, Al was one of the first writers hired on The Simpsons, and he's responsible for some of the best episodes of the show, whether you realize it or not. He's also the longest-running showrunner, which is pretty impressive all on its own. I was originally going to save this episode for just a bit, but you'll notice somewhere near the middle, Al gets a phone call pertaining to the Emmys that I decided to leave in. So I figured now was as good a time as ever to go ahead and drop this episode so you could join in on that moment with me. It's pretty cool. Enjoy the episode. All right. Well, first of all, Al, I want to say thank you so much for uh, joining me here today. I'm really excited to ask you some questions and uh, hang out with you a little bit. My pleasure. Love the Simpsons. Love its fans. That's awesome, man. Well, we we feel the same way about you. Um, so you know, to jump right in, uh, aside from work, um, how are you passing most of your time in 2020? How are you making it through this uh, weird time we're all in here? Sleep, little wine, <laughs> a little um, streaming, uh, you know, what, what everybody else is doing. I, I'm doing a lot of walking, um, which is good. Um, I don't know, who knows when I'll go into a gym again. <clears throat> so that's probably the biggest upside of it. And, uh, and my family and I, you know, get more time together, which is a good thing. Have you learned to make any crazy foods or taken up any, any hobbies in that way? Or, or is that not your department? I've learned nothing, nothing. Uh, <laughs> watched some good movies. I've read a couple books. And uh, mostly we've been really lucky. We've been working uh, on Zoom nonstop since March 3rd. So uh, knock wood, you know, it's animation. We can keep doing it. Right. I, I heard someone uh, comment recently that there's going to be a lot of pitches for animation during uh, where, where we're at right now because it's one thing that can keep being made. So I know a lot of people are going to be eager to do that. I've heard a lot of pitches have been made where people go, wait, this is animated? It sounds like a live action show that you just tweaked to make it animated. <laughs> uh, so um, we've been doing the real thing for 30 years. So, you know, I'll, I'll just jump into a, a serious one or a deep one rather early on. And I'll ask you, what is it about The Simpsons, in your opinion, that is so special? I mean, I, I have my theories, but you're the expert. So I'd like to know your take on that. Well, there's two things. It's just been, you know, great fortune all the way through. Um, you know, Matt and Jim and Sam are all geniuses. The cast is all terrific. You know, we found the Fox Network right when it was starting and, you know, it was a perfect marriage. Um, and I would say it's also a show where whoever you are, there's a character for you. You know, if you're 
young and idealistic, there's Lisa. If you're old and cranky, there's grandpa. If you're a little weird, there's mom. You know, I mean, so. (laughs) So I had Bill Oakley on recently, and I, I really should have asked him this question as well. But as someone who has not only been the showrunner once, but twice, and for the last 18-ish years, uh, for anyone who doesn't realize what that really means, can you give me a glimpse into uh, a day as Al Jean? If something goes wrong, it's my fault. And um, uh, I do, you know, any number of things. I'm working on a thing for Disney+. Plus. I'm running a rewrite room. Uh, We're working on the premiere for 2020. Uh, We're... Uh, working on a script we're going to read Thursday uh, with a special guest there. And um, uh, I do, I'm doing editing on my phone. I'm doing, uh, you know, budget work and other, you know, sort of technical work. Uh, so it's just everything that comes up. You, you, you know, have to supervise and, and keep, keep the ship afloat. Wow. How, how do you, I, you know, I'm, I'm envious, Al. I can't imagine uh, managing, all of that with such grace as you seem to do. So my, my hat is off to you there, really. <laughs> well, uh, it's, a great, it's a great place to work and starting with the top, Jim and Matt. So uh, it's attracting people that are a real pleasure to be with. Mike Reese tells a story in his book, uh, Springfield Confidential, a great book, about how Sam Simon told the writers of the show uh, that it wouldn't ruin their careers because no one would, would ever see it. Um, now that The Simpsons is so iconic, how strange is it to look back on those early days in contrast to, uh, to where it is now and, and think about that? I, I can only say what my attitude was at the time, which was I thought, um, I can't say I thought it was a surefire hit, but I thought I'm working for Jim Brooks, who did Mary Tyler Moore in Taxi, with Sam Simon, whose uh, work was equally spectacular, Matt Grading, I loved Life in Hell, and I thought there hasn't been a primetime animated show in years this has the chance to really surprise everybody, to really be something that gets noticed and might be critically really well-reviewed. So um, I, I wasn't of the camp that thought, oh, this is just going to disappear. I at least thought it was going to be good. Uh, nobody, you know, you'd be lying if you said you'd be here 30 years later and expect to show to come again. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it's amazing. You know, I, I can say as someone who, I'm, I'm essentially the same age as The Simpsons. I was born in 87. And so as someone who's literally, it's been in my life since I was born, effectively, um, I can't imagine my life without it. So I'm glad Sam was uh, wrong about that. Yeah. And to be fair to him, you know, he did a ton of work on the show and, uh, you know, it wouldn't have been the same without him or Jim or Matt, you know, all of them, obviously. And um, I did think there is me and and film after uh, season two going, hey, maybe we'll make it to 20. So I wasn't too far (laughs) off. So speaking of Mike Reese, I told this story on Twitter once, but I was able to meet him at a convention a few years ago. And um, I was really just, I was just taken aback how absurdly nice and easy to talk to he was. That just really stuck with me. Um, well, there, I've been friends with him for 40 years. Right. I, well, that's, yeah. and, and, you know, what is it like working with Mike? How did you become friends with him? And, and you know, how did you start writing together? Well, we were um, in the same uh, dorm uh, freshman year. And uh, we had this, um, we both loved this obscure group called the Beatles. So that's <laughs> at the beginning. And then he wanted to go uh, to Harvard so he could get on the Harvard Lampoon magazine. I had never heard of it. Um, and uh, I'd heard of National Lampoon, but I didn't realize the distinction or that there was a college magazine. And he got on it first and it was so funny. And the people that I met through him, like Tom Gamble, Max Frost, 
Kevin Current. I mean, they were one of the just the most amazingly funny people I ever met. I, and I've worked with all of them, you know, Kevin sadly passed, but I worked with them today, you know, uh, with the others. And, um, so it was something where I joined it because I just wanted to be with them and, uh, got my wish. <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing to me how many great writers, um, for the Simpsons and otherwise have, have come out of that, um, out of the oh, yeah, lamp. Rock and Saturday night live. I mean, a huge, but you know, it's not, it's not like it's from like, you know, somebody's extended family. The Lampoon, Harvard selects for people who are really excellent writers and really smart. And then the Lampoon selects even further for people that are really funny. So the fact that the Lampoon has been a breeding ground, to me, I go, well, that makes sense. Just the way Second City has been a breeding ground for great performers like Aykroyd, Dan Castellaneta, you know, uh, Bill Murray. I mean, people who want to be funny go to these places where they're known to be funny. Right. Like I said earlier, you know, 2020 has been a super weird year. Um, everything is, everyone's sort of trying to find their new normal. Um, what has it been like adjusting to working on the show digitally? And is it easier or is it worse than you expected it to be? Well, it's different. Um, initially, there was just some sort of um, adjustment to looking at a screen so closely. It was more intense. Um, we had to take breaks maybe every hour for a couple you know, five minutes to just sort of readjust your eyes i'm more used to it now um i find you know we do a lot of things more efficiently um unfortunately uh you know and it's the least of people's worries a rewrite room is one of the worst things for coronavirus because it's people talking loud and laughing in a room with the you know no ventilation and air conditioning in the summer. So I'm not sure when we're going to go back to, you know, being in, you know, real, you know, physical contact. So um, just thank God if this had happened 10 years ago, I don't know what we would have done. Right. Do, do you think that there's, would you say that the biggest um, adjustment is just the being present with someone to talk over jokes? Is it sort of just, does it feel different to do that through a screen? Yeah. And it's just, you know, for um, the writer's assistant, it's harder because it's harder to hear what people are saying. You know, when I'm looking at the page, I'm not sure what she's doing because I can't see, but she's moving. So, you know, there's just a lot of like talking over people and, and it's it's great, but it's just a little bit like, you know, people all kind of yelling in a, in a learning to be the cone of silence that they used to have on Get Smart <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> uh, when we have reads, it's a little odd because um you know if somebody uh gets a laugh the laugh mutes the next line so it's odd and um you see a the person laughing you see their avatar and you go what who's you know it, it, whatever i mean these are small small issues compared to other things so it, it's it's not perfect but it's the best we got right uh i actually watched an interview with uh andy sandberg today this makes me think of that on uh Jesus Amaro. and he was saying that when you're doing pitches via zoom everyone has their mics mute, um, their mics muted. So you just see a lot of people sort of just laughing, silently moving their head. And it's like such an adjustment in that way. I find that yeah. really funny. By the way, I love Palm Springs. That was fantastic. I highly recommend anybody who's wants something to watch now. And, um, but yeah, see, that's bad too, because, you know, you're pitching to silence. So there's not really a good answer, but again, you know, it's like, it's the best we got. A lot of people uh, consider, your first season as a co-showrunner to be one of the best, 
if not the best season of television ever. Um, I've heard this said by fans, other writers. Um, and, you know, what is it like to hear that now in contrast to when it was being made? Because I know the, you know, it's obviously a lot different than, than maybe some of the things you were hearing at the time. It's 180 degrees different. When we were doing season four, many of the initial writers, because they had the opportunity, got development deals and left the show, like Kogan Waladarski and Jeff Martin. Mike and I were running it. I was completely nervous. I was like, I just don't want to ruin this thing that people really love. Um, we hired this guy named Conan O'Brien, you know. <laughs> um, I remember when John Vitti pitched um, Mr. Plow, I just thought, oh my God, that's such a great story. I just wanted to hug him. And uh, everything was just really, you know, just get the next episode done. Okay, a monorail show. Oh, Jim likes it, so we'll make that. And, and then now I go, oh, it's the murderer's row of, of, of sitcoms, the, you know, the fourth season or whatever, I go, I can't really put those two thoughts in my head at the same time. I just remember trying to desperately get through and doing the best we could. <laughs> it's okay. Nobody, you, you, nobody was sitting around going, this is a golden age that we will all look back on. <laughs> now you can be honest with me, Al, you guys finished it and you were like, this is the greatest thing ever made. I know. <laughs> no, I was just exhausted. And Mike and I were working on the critic and, um, I did want to stay at The Simpsons. We were still consultants. And uh, the further we got from The Simpsons, when we went to a development deal, I just kept saying, I want to get back to The Simpsons. Um, but you just don't know. You know, the thing with comedy is you just have to try. And a lot of stuff like Homer at the Bat, where people really love it now, um, they just think, thought then it was a terrible read. It was something where uh, every time we picked up lines for it, we were like, oh, this thing. And, and now people, it's literally been in the Baseball Hall of Fame. I, I saw a buddy of mine got one of the, it was like a pin that they had made with Homer on it. I saw that. It was really cool from that event. Yeah, they made a little cardboard plaque for the Hall of Fame. Uh, there was one for Schwarzwelder. There was one for, uh, you know, me and Jeff Martin. You know, Mike Reese all got one. It's really exciting. Bonnie so Kim, cool. Like casting director who got all the ball players. They have to give her credit. And Sam, uh, you know, I would give tremendous credit because he said, no, you'll get all nine. You'll get a bunch of players if you just get them when they come to L.A. He was the one that said we could do it. That's so funny. I, I know that some people say that was an episode that some of the actors didn't like at the time and things like that, which is so right. baffling to me because it's one of the funniest. It, it's one of my favorite episodes. It's great. Who knows? <laughs> That's my last lesson from that. Yeah. Who, who knew that something like that would lead to a guy like me having a room full of stuff? Uh, <laughs> well, the crazy thing, the really crazy thing is these guys were huge stars in Wade Boggs, you know, Hall of Famer, Roger Clemens, one of the greatest pitchers of all time. And, uh, you know, I had a chance to meet with a couple of them afterwards, long afterwards, you know, and I say, do you ever hear about the episode? And they go, every week. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like Ozzie Smith might have been the greatest fielding shortstop of all time. He hears about that stupid episode in the mystery spot every week. It makes no sense. That's so great. Hey, it's, it's a classic, Al. It's a classic. Um, so I want to ask you about, um, I was recently rewatching season 26 um, and I wanted to ask about Bart's new friend, which was written by Judd Apatow in 1990, correct? He wrote it. Well, uh, this is what I would say about it is it was, it was the basic plot, uh, with the hypnosis, but it was really changed. What's funny is people said we should, you know, use more scripts from 1990 and it had things like a lengthy sequence parodying Disney's California adventure, which didn't exist when the show was originally written, uh, you know, the first 
you know, draft by Judd, although Judd was also involved in our rewrite and gave notes and was very helpful. So he certainly contributed a lot to what was on the air, but it, it wasn't 1990 Judd that was really contributing. It was, it was right. you know, season 26 Judd. So what, what made you guys dip into the archives to, uh, to make that episode? How did that come up? I'm really curious. I love that episode. I like the idea. I love Judd. I, I think that um, he had worked on the critic, but I mean, that's, you know, maybe his lowest credit of all. I mean, he really, you know, redefined comedy movies in the two thousands with uh, like the 40 year old virgin. Uh, and um, we just wanted to work with him, you know, and that was like a funny sort of reason to do it, you know, say it was, you know, this old spec script, although really it was, you know, us working with him now and um you know yeah, it's great yeah it's a, it's a great it's a great episode um i remember that when it first aired i noticed his name and i was like wow that's that's odd you know so i i always i did some reading online about the episode but rewatching it recently i was curious you know straight from straight from you yeah most of it's not uh, in the original draft 99% but but um uh, again, he contributed a lot to it, and uh, it was how else we're going to get Judd Apatow to write an episode of this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it makes sense to me. Um, so, anyone who follows you on Twitter knows that you share a lot of Simpsons lists, and and you stay pretty on top of that. Um, what I want to know is, do you have a list? Is there an Al Jean list of some of your favorite moments or episodes? It's got to be moments because it's just too many episodes, and it's like saying, you know, which of your 500 kids, you know, kind of episodes I've run is your favorite. I, I love doing an episode of Anne Hathaway. She was fantastic. I love working with the ball players in the aforementioned Norma the Bat. I love the first episode, the Christmas show. Um, I loved uh, this episode I wrote recently uh, called Daddicus Finch, where we actually have footage from To Kill a Mockingbird. That's five, but I could name, you know, 55 others that I would just say have like really amazing moments from them. It's It's been unbelievable and never. You know, and you know, the movie was fantastic, the experience. You know, the movie just turned 13. So someone pointed out the movie can see itself now. It was <laughs> and uh, I just, you know, I'm constantly amazed by the great things The Simpsons leads to. Absolutely. Yeah, I was going to bring up, uh, we're recording this on the 28th. So as of yesterday, the movie turned 13. That's pretty, uh, pretty wild. It's amazing it's that long ago. I remember it just being constant work, especially last year, because I was doing the show and the movie at the same time. And total nervous, me and everybody that worked on it, you know, from Jim Brooks on down, just going, you know, this is a big thing. We don't want to disappoint people. And I, I think we did all right. I think it was at least pretty good. Oh, I, I love the movie. And I'll tell you, as, as a collector, one of the hot commodities are the displays from the setups in the theater, like with the whole family. People I, I have one of those for Ah, uh, man, I would love to have one, but there's no way I could fit one in this room. I mean, I, I have yeah. the old arcade machine, the Konami machine, and that takes up a ton of room. So no, I, I can't say the problem is, is there's no way to fit it. So I have it in a room, but, um, and, uh, there's a, there's a rarity. There's the, um, Russ Cargill in the Burger King set was based on an earlier design that wasn't in the movie. So right. that, that one always makes me laugh. <laughs> it's this thing that nobody ever saw. <laughs> Um, it's, so, and, it's so funny. Yeah, the biggest thing that, I, that made the thing that made me feel the best about the movie was people said they went that you know the night it premiered, you know it was a group thing and they got to see it in a theater with each other, you know, and that had never been something they had done with The Simpsons before. So that made me really happy. I've heard different stories from you in the past and from other people about how sometimes a table read for even some of the most beloved episodes just wouldn't really go uh, the way you expect, or the episode would turn out way funnier than the table read and. 
are, are there some examples of that that really stick out in your mind where you were just like, man, I, I know this is going to be great, but this is not coming together in the read? Well, here's two. Homer at the Bat was a disaster at the read. I thought that um, Lisa the Greek was going to be a disaster. We didn't have much time to like finish that script, and the read went great, and I was just stunned. And I think it was a Friday read, which we never did, but you know we had less time to rewrite, so it worked out. Um, you, you never know. Um, there was uh, the reads have tended to, like before Zoom ten, tended to get more reaction, more positive reaction, you know, in the last ten years than they did, you know, in the first four. Um, we almost never have a read now which doesn't go well, you know, maybe because the scripts are a little shorter, maybe because we've learned, you know, even more works at the table, but. Um, it was it was definitely up and down. I mean, the show was clearly a success from the airing of the first episode, the Christmas show. But the the reads and you know running the show was always a rocky road. Obviously, um, you're not only known for your work on The Simpsons, but you also co-created the critic with Mike Reese, which I also love, by the way. Yep. Um, <clears throat> what is the inspiration for a show like The Critic? Like, what made you think, hey, we should write a show about a uh, a television critic or a movie critic? It was totally backwards. We had a deal to do a show with Jim Brooks, and he said, what about doing a show, a live show, set in a morning show, like today? And then Mike said, hey, why don't we focus on the film critic? He always thought Gene Shalop was a funny character and wanted to do something over the character like him. And then Jim came in from an advanced screening of League of Their Own, and he goes, do you guys like Lovitz? And we go, we love Lovitz. You know, we think he's hilarious. So then we said, hey, we'll make Lovitz the film critic and the show with Lovitz. And of course, it was all backwards because we didn't have any guarantee from Lovitz. So we called him for a meeting and, you know, Jim said, well, will you commit? And Jen goes, I just want to read a script because we didn't have a script yet. And he had a very busy schedule. He was doing City Slickers, too. He was doing a lot of stuff. And, you know, it was hard to fit it in as a live show. So I said, let's animate it. And besides that, it would be great to do these movie parodies animated. And then John could do it in his schedule. And... Uh, everything was done backwards. So then it became an animated show. <clears throat> we got John and what's really funny is he, he had these specifications that the critic couldn't look like him. And now he goes, <laughs> I admit it, the critic looks a little like me. <laughs> that's so, that's so funny. I actually, that's uh, a bit of trivia. I did not know. It definitely looks a little bit like him. <laughs> well, we were trying to look not like him, but sound looked like the person that voice came out of. So right, right. <laughs> it was actually an original photo, which was much refined of Andy Kaufman that it was a little bit based on. And then the design was altered in the second season because it didn't do so well on ABC. We wanted to make it a little warmer. It did do well on Fox, but it was canceled for reasons other than ratings. Um, it was a long story, but it was, you know, a pleasure. And I got to work with some really great people. Uh, we got to do a show with Cisco and Ebert, which was fantastic. And, and uh, the funny thing with them was, after each take, I get to record them in Chicago. Cisco would go, who was better? And I go, you were both there. He goes, no, who was better? And actually, I would say Roger was a little better. <laughs> that's, my, that's definitely my favorite episode. So I, I love hearing that background. That was really that. fun. Cool. Yeah. How did you approach, uh, or would you say you approach writing differently for the critic than The Simpsons? Like, was there any... Or, or do you well, sort of approach it from the same place? I talked about it with Matt Groening, you know, what he did with Futurama and Disenchantment. We were very cautious. We just said, we don't want to repeat The Simpsons. We're not going to make it about a standard family with a mom and a dad. So we had, to, you know, not in a small sort of Midwestern town, but in New York and he was divorced. And, you know, Futurama was similarly trying to not be The Simpsons. And, you know, one day Matt and I said to us, 
each other. Why did we try so hard not to be the Simpsons and the Simpsons as a big kid? If we had just made it a little more like the Simpsons, life would have been easier. Uh, but, you know, we were trying. I, um, I'm a hu- obviously a huge fan of Futurama as well. And yeah, it's great. I, I mean, mean it in the same way, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I think also, uh, regardless of, you know, network stuff not working out for those shows, I think the fact that they are so different makes them special. And um, I'm, you know, a big fan of both, and I wish they all had longer lives, but what well, can you do? Futurama lasted 100 plus episodes, about as many as the Dick Van Dyke show. They had a really long run. I mean, there's a lot of Futurama, and, you know, not, not everything runs a true path anymore. So it was like, I think it has four final episodes, all good. But, uh, you know, animation has a really long life. I mean, there are only 23 episodes of the Jetsons and people still refer to that. Uh, The Futurama crossover with the Simpsons, again, something I really like. And um, that had been sort of toyed with before in the comic and things like that. Um, How did that come about? and, And, you know, how much do you love that episode? Oh, I really love it. That was my idea to do that crossover. Uh, mostly because, you know, we'd done the X-Files crossover and that was really fun. We did the Critic crossover and I think that was successful. And there's not that many things to cross over with The Simpsons well. And my main reason for wanting to do it was design-wise, they really meshed. You know, it's all Matt Groening designs. It really, you know, the universe just makes sense. Uh, and then David Cohen contributed to the crossover. Stuart Burns wrote the script. He'd been on both shows. So it was really a fantastic, um, just one sec. You're good. Oh, can I answer the phone? I'm getting excited. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yes. Oh, great. Can you put it in the outer office here? No, they can just drop them. The door is open, so you can just put them in. Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Three Emmys today, so that's a real moment. Yeah, that is. That's really awesome. I can edit that out if you want, or I can leave it. I don't care. You want to leave it in? I'm fine with me. <laughs> That's great. Um, well, one thing I love about the Futurama crossover—I uh, I actually I don't know if I interrupted your point. You might have had a point before that. The it just seemed to work to me really well, you know, because we had Stuart writing it, who had written for both, and David involved, and the read was fantastic. I mean, we had maybe the best voiceover cast ever at one read. You had all the Futurama people, uh, you had all the Simpsons people. You know, I mean, so it was just like really amazing. You know, I don't know, like there's probably 10 or more voiceover Emmys in that room that day. It's crazy. I, I love my favorite callback is the uh, the Butterfinger joke with Bart. I think that's so – and the uh, crossovers are hell. I mean, there's a lot of great things in there. Yeah, I, I also just like the references to Matt's work, and I just thought it was a great tribute to both shows. 100%. And I enjoyed the 100%. Family Guy crossover, which was done by the Family Guy staff. That was different. That was them. We gave very, very minor notes, but I enjoyed doing that too. Yeah, I think I think you guys really make them work, man. I, I the I watching season twenty six again recently. I was just taken aback how much I love that episode. It's really great as a as a big fan of both. So glad I got yeah, to bring that, was, that, up. that was a season. Yeah, it's the first time I had a script credit in a long time. So I wrote uh, I won't be home for Christmas. That was a special episode to me. Uh, Stephanie Gillis, uh, my wife wrote uh, Treehouse twenty five, which I really love. You know, there's a lot of stuff that I thought was a great season and um it started with the family guy crossover yeah it was really fantastic yeah absolutely so you're a big comic book fan uh specifically yeah. marvel uh and how much how much of a role do you think that played in your desire to write you know it was really amazing like for example we had stan lee as a guest star at the read and just to have him there and our show was just one of the most amazing moments. like the fact that 
I got to meet him and I had lunch with him a couple times. I mean, the closest thing to The Simpsons, when I was, you know, you're the same age as The Simpsons, I'm the same age as The Fantastic Four. It was started in 61, the Marvel age of comics. And, you know, that would have been my dream to write for them. And I, I you know, think that this is actually maybe even better than that would have been. One thing I almost put a question in here about, but I, it's funny when I was doing research um, or just sort of, uh, you know, looking up some, some things to bring up, I forgot that you and I had the same birthday. So obviously January we're uh, January 9th. Richard Nixon also. Wow, look at us. <laughs> and, uh, and actor J.K. Timmons, <laughs> who was born in Detroit like me a year before I was. So, <laughs> Wow, that's, that's really funny. Those, well, that's what Capricorns are. Well, I always uh, joke around that I was born so close to uh, Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin, which is my mom's favorite band. I think she just missed the mark by a couple of days. <laughs> and Elvis, I think, was January 8th. It was. But, I'm actually from the hometown of Elvis. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So I was right there, right there. I almost had it. <laughs> um, do you find time to read newer comics? Do you still keep up with comics? I read a lot in the 90s. I sort of fell away. You know, obviously, I've seen almost all the Marvel movies. And that, again, I, 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 I literally, I said to Stan Lee in 2002, I said, I've been waiting for a Spider-Man movie all my life. And he said, so have I. <laughs> and, you know, it's just insane that, that these Marvel comic movies have become the biggest thing in, in movies. It's just, and what's funny is, is that, you know, I'll remember big little things from stuff I read, you know, in the 70s. I go, oh, that's that guy, you know, like, which I have to explain like to the people I'm with because they have no clue, but it's all, I mean, it, it doesn't surprise me because Marvel has such a rich, you know, trove of material from great writers that they can, and artists and artist writers to, to, you know, put into these movies and they, you know, they just mix them all up and, and, you know, there's fantastic things like Warlock that I'm sure they'll get to. That'll just be amazing. Yeah. And I was uh, a friend of mine got a, um, a poster for into the spider verse framed recently. And I was looking at it and I just, I was really just going on and on about how much I loved that movie and how many times I saw it. So I definitely, I'm very excited for the future of not just Marvel stuff, but uh, animated stuff like that as well. Well, we loved it so much. We stole it for uh, into the Homerverse, uh, which is our Halloween segment, the middle segment this coming uh, fall. I can't wait for that. It's going to be awesome. Um, I've read in other interviews about how you really do listen to the fans. And uh, I would say, you know, as a fan myself, a big fan, that that is obvious that you do. Um, and that you, you, you do seem to listen to valid points with criticism. And uh, oh, what I, is some of I, I think it's like it's a relative. When somebody goes, I haven't watched a show in 15 years, it sucks. I go like, well, if you haven't watched it, how do you know? Like, I can't answer that. But if they go, well, Lisa's being too mean to buy or something, I go, that's a valid point. You know, that's, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I have gotten in way too many arguments in my life about uh, people who complain or say that something's bad that they haven't seen. That's like something that really just gets under my skin. So I've, I've, I definitely keep a list handy to be like, oh, well, if you feel that way, let me drop some episodes on you so you can see how wrong you are. I, I just think that the difference between season four and season 26 is less than people think. I, I, I form, firmly believe that it's you know, possible things were newer and better uh, in season four, but it's also, I see the edges. I see stuff where, um, you know, it wasn't perfect. And, you know, even say in the monorail show, we screened it. And after we came out, Jim was like, got to make some edits in that show. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is, this is in 2019. So, uh, right. so, um, yeah, I, that's all. I just think that, that if, if you juggled them up and gave them to an objective set of alien beings, they, they would, you know, 
be harder to pick. They can tell by style, but it'd be harder to tell by writing, uh, which is from which. Right. And I, I think a lot of it really is um, changes in animation and style and things getting better. And I think a lot of people, oh, whether they realize it or not, they look at it in that, in that way. And they, I think if you took an episode written today and you animated it in the style of an earlier season, people would find less to, uh, to complain about. I think some people just, they're so aesthetically connected to a certain look that they don't look beyond a certain point. Well, there's that. And, you know, I remember I loved those Jack Kirby Fantastic Fours when I was a kid. And, and, but I like the John Byrne ones too. And uh, I would say that right now, the one thing I will be, you know, definitely, you know, confident of is this is the golden age for animation. If you look at the shows that got nominated for the Emmy today, they're all fantastic. Uh, present company, you know, excluded or whatever, but, Bob's Burgers and Bojack Horseman and Big Mouth and Rick and Morty, which is the we show the one two years ago. So uh, I just go, you didn't have competition this tough 25 years ago. This is really just an incredible field of shows now. Absolutely. And great shows that didn't make the list. Right. And speaking of uh, Rick and Morty, uh, shout out to Wes Archer. Oh, yeah. Uh, that show's great. We had a couch gag that they did, which was really fun. I think it's a fantastic show. Uh, very, very clever, uh, very great animation. Yeah, no, I mean, there's, believe me, it's, it's the best of times to be an animation fan on TV and in movies, and, you know, before the coronavirus hit. It's funny, they started these, these golden ages the same year, 1989, and features it was with The Little Mermaid. And speaking, you know, speaking of the movies, um, I know a lot of people were excited to see uh, the new Maggie short, Playdate with Density, put on Disney Plus recently. Well, April, that was, that I guess everything great. feels... Yeah, it was actually the last movie that came out, you know, before everything <laughs> with Onward, which was a really great movie that deserved a better it was. fate. Um, yeah, what happened with that was Tom Gamble and Max Pross had written an episode uh, where they had that basic plot with Maggie meeting the boy and then the little train in a circle. And uh, Jim Brooks at the read just said, let's take it and make it into a short. But it was funny, it was before we were bought by Disney because people said, oh, The Simpsons is trying to Disneyfy it. No, it had no connection. And then when uh, we got bought, Jim showed it to Bob Iger and he really liked it. And he said, just put us with a Pixar movie. If it could just be before a Pixar movie, that's all we want. And we got our wish and, and I'm very happy about it. I'm very, I'm very glad it was in theaters and I'm very glad it was on Disney plus. No doubt. Yeah. Onward was also really great. I totally It was, it was, that. I felt very sorry. Unlike us, they had put, you know, four years of solid work into something. And you know, the, the second week that it was out, this, everybody stopped going to movies. My wife and I go to a lot of movies and I, I'm definitely uh, missing the theater uh, to be quite honest. Yeah. That's another thing like a writer's rooms that I mentioned where I go, I don't know how soon that's going to come back, which is really too bad because I love going to movies. And yeah. So, yeah. At probably, least I think I miss movies and gyms. You don't know when, but I miss them a lot. Yeah. I, it's um, I miss the popcorn. I miss the big soda. You know, I, Yep. I miss. I, I love going to the movies, especially now that they all have recliners. So it's just like a home away from home. When you see a great movie, uh, you know, like a movie like Sideways in the theater, there's nothing that beats that experience. No, no doubt. I believe I read. Uh, I actually don't even know why I'm bringing this up, but I believe I read that one of the last things you saw was Emma. That was a fantastic movie. Yep. No. Well, you remember these things. You go, oh, yes, Emma, um, and Onward, and um. That was probably it. Those are the two main ones that I saw in 2020. Uh, so that's my best picture list. Or you can, add <laughs> us, you can add our short to it. I joked with David Silverman that we should win the Oscar for only animated short. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, that's true. And I, I would, uh, like you said, I would add Palm Springs to that list. That's one of my favorites. Of oh, it's great. I, wish... I, I felt like, oh, too bad I couldn't have seen it in a theater, but whatever. It's any way you can see it, it's great. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, so uh, I guess as a second part to the to the question about criticism, what is what is some advice you would give? Um, I mean, I guess I could I could take this advice as someone who's starting a creative endeavor with this podcast and things like it. Uh, what is some advice you could give someone about hearing and learning from criticism without dwelling on it? You have to do it in television. Television is a group effort. And the person writing the show has to, you know, get a show out without too much fuss. You have to be willing to let your work be rewritten, have to see the larger picture. And everybody that's here is really good at that, at, at you know, bringing your own ego aside for the good of the whole. I love it. Um, so let's see, being a collector, Al, I, you know, I always like to kind of close these out with some talk about merchandise. And since you were around from the beginning of the half hour series, do you, do you have any memory of the earliest merchandise or did you see some of the early concepts before it was even in the store? Were you involved? Were you around for some of that well, at all? A memories was a uh, gift after the first year from Matt and everybody was a pinball machine, which I still have, which is fantastic. Uh, Sam uh, used to get a copy of every piece of merchandise. And I remember he gave me a big box of stuff that I like, he really saw it. I have it somewhere in my garage. And uh, the biggest thing I remember, there was a store in Westwood, California that only sold Simpsons merchandise in 1990. That was the only thing the store sold. And of course, it didn't last too long. But uh, I never dreamed that there would be a store devoted to merchandise from something I was working on. I mean, that was just crazy. In the early 90s, people forget, but uh, you really could walk down the street and go, I bet I'll hear something about the Simpsons, you know, in 1990, and you would, like, from somebody on the street. I look a lot. Um, I look at a lot of that early merchandise and I'm always amazed how, um, because some of it is so sought after and I know it's because, um, a lot of people bought it and either didn't take care of it or some of it didn't sell that well. Like for instance, like the Hamilton gifts dolls, I know didn't sell that well because they were sold in like, you know, higher end places that sold greeting cards and things like that. So not a lot of people bought them. And I always find that stuff really interesting, but as far as a store that sold only Simpsons, I would, I would you know, kill to be a fly on the wall in that store now and see what they had. I said to Stan Lee, because I've had the same feeling, I said, you must have had like 100 copies of Fantastic Four number one. And he said, throw them out. <laughs> throw them out. <laughs> Didn't save any of them. You know, all of them. Best Buy's desk, Spider-Man. I mean, so that's why they're rare. It's wild. I, I was lucky enough at uh, one point to sort of uh, – connect with the former merchandising president for Fox named Alavadia. I'm sure you remember Al. Yep. And uh, I was lucky enough to buy some, some stuff from him that was actually never made some shirts, some samples and things like that. So to think about how much Simpsons stuff was made and how much of it wasn't made honestly sort of boggles the mind. I mean, I, I told Yardley in my interview with her that I see stuff every single day that I've never seen before. And I'm still seeing that after collecting for eight years. Um, so it really is amazing how much stuff was made and, for the show. And if you go internationally, yeah. I mean, there's just so much stuff. Uh, I don't think they were official, but we found – we didn't buy, but we found Simpsons rolling papers in Barcelona, my wife saw. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, it's crazy what's out there. Matt collects yeah, bootleg merchandise, which is really funny. He collects funny bootlegs. There's a lot of really good ones. I just got one recently that I believe was made in Mexico in 1990, but it's like a little uh, – it's a little boxing doll with Bart's yep. head. And uh, I know those are really popular. A lot of people look for those. And yep. some, of the, some of the bootleg stuff is really, uh, especially t-shirts, is really sought after stuff. It's interesting. 
Um, so, you know, w- was there a time that you followed it more closely? And, and you said you had a box of stuff. Did you, did you ever have that displayed or has it sort of just been tucked away for however it's long? It's a box you gave me. I put it in my garage and I, somewhere. And I mean, I, I have a bunch of stuff. I mean, you know, obviously not any urge to sell them, but um, I'm sure, I'm sure some of them are valuable. I, I haven't touched them, so they're probably pretty good condition, but uh, it'll be more of a memory trip for me when I, you know, I mean, you would think about Sam when you see that stuff. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, Al, if, if I can uh, ever bug you again one day, I'd love to, if you ever decide to pull it down, I'd love to just see what you got. I'd love to sure. just see what's Absolutely. in the box. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll remember to tell you. That's awesome. Well, um, Al, I could, I could talk to you all night, um, but I don't want to keep you for too long. You're a busy, busy guy, one of the hardest working guys in television, easy to say. And uh, I just want to say that as a big fan of you, you've written some of my favorite episodes. Um, and it means a lot to have had this time with you and get to, get to speak with you for a bit. Well, thank uh, you and all the fans. I mean, obviously, wouldn't have been here without this enormous support we've had for 30 years, which is insane. And it's all from you guys. Absolutely. Well, Al, um, I'm sure I'll talk to you soon and uh, I'll let you know when this is ready to go as a pod. I'm probably going to hold it for just a bit, but uh, again, it means a lot and I really appreciate it, my friend. My pleasure. Thank you. Awesome. I'll talk to you later, Al. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out the official Instagram at Simpsons is greater than, or follow me on Twitter at Simpsons is great. If you're curious about me or my Simpsons collection, Just search for Bart of Darkness on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks again for checking this out. I'll see you next week.